This episode of The Body Serve is brought to you by Health IQ, an insurance agency that helps health conscious people like runners, vegans, weightlifters, and you guessed it, tennis players get lower rates on life insurance. Go to healthiq.com slash bodyserve or mention the promo code bodyserve when speaking with an agent to support the show and see if you qualify. But I don't, I really don't have any regrets. I really don't. I've, I've lived exactly how I've wanted to. I've tried my hardest every single time. I didn't win the matches that maybe I should have always won. Or, but I really gave it my all. So that for me is enough. Well, hello there. Welcome back. Uh, it's been, what, three days? Yep. This is The Body Serve. Thanks for tuning in. I'm James. And you are? I'm Jonathan. And we clearly just want to overwhelm you so that you just never listen to us ever again. Mm-hmm. It's going to be quantity over quality from now on. <laughs> <laughs> We're back because it's the, the draw ceremony, draw release episode previewing the Australian Open. Yeah, yeah, you got there. Yeah, it's the Australian Open preview. Oh, <laughs> you, you just finished talking to me about brevity mm-hmm. and about how we need to be more concise this episode. Exactly. And I called bullshit on you because it's like, uh-huh, now that you're going to have to be editing this episode, <laughs> you're concerned about a 90-minute episode. Yeah, so no mistakes, and we're going to get through it fast. Okay, now you stayed up really, really late here to watch the Australian Open draw ceremony, if you can call it that. And I woke up and it turns out I missed a whole hell of a lot. You did miss a whole hell of a lot. It wasn't an oppressive time for me to stay up. I'm typically up at that time anyway. But by the end of it, having not bargained for an hour and a half, it was oppressive. Mm -hmm. It really was. Now, they didn't actually do the draw live, right? No. So it had already been done and they just put it up on a screen or? I'm new to the whole draw ceremony thing. I'm typically working, or it doesn't fit my schedule. I'm not usually around for it. Mm. Australia might be the only one that I'm able to pay attention to most years. And even then, I don't really remember from year to year. This time around, there I was caught totally off guard. Apparently, it's been a trend. I saw people talking about it, that it's become more of a draw reveal mm-hmm. rather than a draw ceremony, which, as I said, caught me off guard. Okay. I'm sitting there, and they have, I don't know who the host was. He's there talking, and then he says, Oh, and then welcome your defending champion, Roger Federer. And out comes Roger, dressed in this gorgeous green shirt. Mm. He looked really good. You know, I'm not one to typically find Federer good-looking, but he was (laughs) well-dressed, and I just loved that shade of green. And he had Norman with him, the trophy that he named from last year. Appropriately. Uh-huh. And so they go through this Q&A thing, and I'm, I'm, I'm sitting there, and I'm thinking, okay, this could go on forever, because Federer speaks in paragraphs. Mm-hmm. Federer loves to hear his voice. He sure do. He's earned the right to love to, er- to hear his voice, <laughs> frankly, right? It is what it is. Federer talks a lot. He gives long-winded, thoughtful answers. And if you ask him to reflect on his year... Starting with the Australian Open last year, it's gonna go on. It's gonna go on a while. That's just the way it is. And so, fifteen minutes go by, twenty minutes go by, and I'm like, okay, so Federer is here talking about himself. What are they gonna do for Maria? Mm-hmm. Like, what are these questions going to be? 
how was your year? How was it coming back from a doping suspension? <laughs> how many pills did you actually pop on this court two years ago? You know, like, what are the questions that are going to be asked that factor into the actual ban and her time away from the tour? Yeah. Forget about politicizing it and how you feel about it. I just thought it incredulous that they could have her come on and just shoot the shit, pretty much. Is that what they did? That's exactly what it was. Now, Asking about her time away. Before we get to that, though. Tell me... I'm also, wait, I'm also sitting there and I'm starting to see tennis... A journalist tweet, oh, I think the draw may be going on. Uh, here is a picture of somebody sitting on the court with their screen up. Mm. And there's, this looks like a bracket and looks like Rafa is here playing so-and-so. But I don't know if this is true. We'll just have to wait. What? So, like, I'm, I'm like, what in the actual fuck is going on? Mm. Because we are here for the draw. We're not here to have a sit-down with Roger Federer and Murray Sharapova just ramble on about themselves and their lives. Right. But they've turned this whole draw ceremony into this big production where it's produced for TV, presumably, in Australia. Right, but where was the actual draw? Like, it was going on simultaneously, but it wasn't being shown? Correct. (laughs) Or I don't know if it was made before the telecast even started. Oh, okay. And it was just available on somebody's screen. But by the time... Federer is getting toward the end of his little spiel. It for sure is already done. Mm-hmm. And then it's being officially tweeted out. Well, unofficially tweeted out by... I'm, like Ben Rothenberg was tweeting out all this other stuff. Yeah. So for a good 15 to 30 minutes, you don't know what to make of what. What is real? What the context for any of these things are? You can't see anything. No draws. No nothing. You're just saying, oh, well, this is a good first round matchup. And you're like, well, is this actually what's happening? And then so Federer gets done and they say, welcome Maria Sharapova. And (laughs) like, oh, you know, that's a Sharapovian outfit. She was wearing the blouse, like the business casual, flowy, Mm -hmm. silky-ish blouse with like pants. Yeah, like her her Ivanka look. Yeah, it's her aesthetic. You know, she does that. (laughs) That and the granny dress. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And it took me a moment and then I was like, oh. She's holding Serena's trophy. She is bringing Serena's mm-hmm. trophy onto mm-hmm. the court. And obviously, like if I'd seen Roger bring the men's trophy out on the court, it should have occurred to me that Marie would be bringing the women's trophy onto the court in all likelihood. But seeing it was jarring. She was holding Daphne. She brought out yeah, Daphne. She brought Daphne to the court. Um, I just, I woke up to that and I was like, Twitter, goodbye. I, away <laughs> with you. I'm very busy this week, and I cannot be bothered to be upset about this right now. But what bad taste. The thing, like, the Australian Open is usually, it's it's called the Happy Slam for a reason, right? They usually do this stuff pretty well. The fan, the fan experience, it just seems laid back, positive. The social media is always on point. The app is usually pretty good. And I feel like just a lot of things have, have not been working very well. It's a kind of an bad omen for the beginning of this tournament the thing with the like the choice of sharapova we talked about last time it was like okay that's kind of in bad taste and then they went and made it worse right fine you choose her and we accepted on the last episode that okay we're not that mad about it like this is more a reflection of a distasteful choice by the tournament they could have gone in a totally different direction 
and made a better choice. Mm-hmm. But we're not here to attack Maria, right? Oh, we're not. Well, I we said that I'm you kidding. concurred. I know. This is not. I'm this was kidding. not about Maria. Yeah. For the most it's part, it's just it's not fun anymore. To what attacking Maria? <laughs> <laughs> oh my God! They've sucked all the fun out of it. I don't know what we thought because it should have been clear that she'd be in the vicinity of the trophy. At some <laughs> but holding it i mean the thing that is amusing to me is is like the super maria stands who are like they had literally no choice tennis australia had to choose mm-hmm. her so shut your damn this mouth. this idea that it's it like, was a it was what? a totally reasonable decision and stopping stupid well not only that but that they were handcuffed they have to pick a defending champion, and Angie is out of town. Like, what? is that written in Australian law? I mean, as a fan, I'm sure I have said things that some of you think is stupid and biased. But You say things I think are stupid right, all the time. Right, but, like, you all have to acknowledge that that is a dumbass thing to say. <laughs> like, Tennis Australia can choose whoever they damn well please we said to this. present they the could have brought out they destiny have, ayava to they do could it. have chosen a kangaroo mm-hmm. for fuck's sake like the, <laughs> the quokka has been doing everything exactly been doing the most in the lead up to the australian Open. clearly i don't need a lecture about capitalism and about the, the economical ab- yeah. power the that, abstract economical power that maria well, sharapova right. would would give to a tournament and I, a fucking draw i am waiting to see the numbers because you all quote them just so confidently but yes, I if believe that Maria front, is a star. If right? you're being upfront and say, well, we are putting her there to have her bring Serena's trophy out and you will be on your seats glued with your popcorn and those ratings will soar through the roof. <laughs> right. Like right. if that's what you're coming with, I see you. I see that. I accept that. Like if you yeah. want to be that shady and ballsy and Aretha about it, then... <laughs> <laughs> Hate Aretha. <laughs> Then more power to you, but like I'm not. Let's not pretend. I think that's that's my issue, and it has been for a long time with this whole thing. Like Maria is back, it's over. The wild card drama is over. We're happy it's done. We're not talking about it anymore. But like, why? Why are the tennis powers that be walking around as if nothing happened? And Billie Jean King, for example, saying that I don't get it. Everybody should get over it. And that's easy for her to say, but, like, Billie Jean was over it, like, two days after the positive test. (laughs) No, really. Like, Billie Jean was a very strong supporter of Maria throughout the entire ordeal. And I agree, yes, she served her time. Yeah. Uh, That's kind of, like, something I believe very, very strongly in people who have been to prison. Like, she didn't go to prison, obviously. No, she went and did multiple two-day internships. One right. for Adam Silver and the NBA. Yeah. Okay, that was cool. fascinating to learn about in uh-huh. her year of taking time off. Is she the one who claims that she got into Harvard? Because I, she spent a day at Harvard Business School? I do not like, have access to those Famous receipts. people need to stop pretending that they got into really difficult schools to get into because they did a conference on campus. I feel like you're open, opening yourself up <laughs> to a lot of rage I am. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. Uh, credibility issues yeah. of the show but let's no let's talk about billy jean because no before we get into that i'm okay. not done with maria all right so the sum part of this whole visual fiasco is you have maria sharapova in serena's stead because this is the job of the defending champion 
bringing Serena's trophy onto the court. Mm -hmm. The same court that was a site of the last ingestion of Meldonium. <laughs> and we know it was a double dose. We know. We know. It. It's, like, in, it's in legal documents. You can't, you can't make this shit up. And it's like, you know that, that meme where the black girl is coming on to Ellen or Oprah and she opens yes, the door yes. and it's like, hey. <laughs> it's like, well, that's Maria, but in her pinstripe pantsuit. Mm. And nobody's asking for it. Well, apparently a lot of people are asking for it, and they're paying for it, too. Oh, my God. And so that happens. She sits down, and it's just a run-of-the-mill conversation about how you spent your year and all the time off and what you did, how difficult it was, and what were some of the struggles and the this and the that, the that. It was, I mean, if you were in charge of a city's sanitation, this would be your ideal. It was oh so sanitized. Oh, I thought because they were, like, shoveling shit. <laughs> no. The thing that annoys me about this and has for a long time is the fakeness. This, oh, my God, so you haven't played here in two years. We're not going to say why. So how have you been? This talk show bullshit. It just makes tennis look stupid and silly. We're not going to say why because it's really not relevant. You're back. And we're happy to have you back. <sighs> and... Like, but look at the sports who did not take this seriously. I feel like that's going way too meta <laughs> in terms okay, of what's okay. going on. Because the the suspension itself was fraught. There I were agree. many issues surrounding it. It's not enough to say one way or the other definitively, good or bad, what happened, right? But there is still a way as a presenter and an interviewer and a journalist... In any situation... Well, they don't hire journalists to do these it things It doesn't matter. For my point is it's very simple. Yeah. Hell, you and I could do it easily. If somebody comes to us and says, well, hey, you're going to do this thing, but, you know, you just say, well, we're going to say, well, how does it feel to be back here? The sight of so-and-so-and-so. What are your feelings about that? Mm. It's, it's so simple. You can get that out of the way and then move on to talking about your internships. No, but you would never get the job if you... Had, if you were even someone who had a reputation for asking honest questions, you just wouldn't get that job. It doesn't I'm even sorry. have to be hard-hitting. Just acknowledge right. it, <laughs> right? It makes the whole thing such a farce. That's what I'm saying. It sounds silly. The yeah. whole sport sounds silly because mm -hmm. of it. So um, I want to talk about Billie Jean because... So I mentioned that she said, you know, she doesn't understand the whole hullabaloo about Maria, that she served a time, she's back, let her play, which I agree I think that Billie Jean, uh, women's tennis is her life's work, right? The WTA is something that she and a bunch of other women built by hand, fought and clawed for, sacrificed a lot. So her investment in the, the flourishing and kind of the financial success as well of women's tennis is huge. Or even just its survival. Yes. So I think that, I don't know how to say this because I respect and adore Billie Jean so much for what she's done, but even our heroes can be wrong, right? Yeah. I think that... Uh, we've been through Venus and All Lives Matter. Like, well, we know yeah, this. Yeah, So Billie Jean's, like, single-minded dedication to women's tennis's survival has, I think, allowed her to say some, uh, like, misguided things, in my opinion. So Such one as? of them is is not even like kind of waiting a beat and defending Maria from the jump 
And the other thing is lobbying for <laughs> Margaret Court Arena, which she did, you know, because she felt that Margaret was such a great champion that she, like Rod Laver, deserved a court named after her. So there's obviously an argument for that because Margaret Court is the most decorated tennis player, really, in history. Okay, we need to put some timelines in place here mm-hmm. and also introduce the Twitter work of Frith, Miss Plucky Loser. Mm-hmm. We're talking about the naming of Margaret Court Arena, which happened in 2003. So, And so you're saying, and this is a point that Frith brought out on Twitter, that yes, Billie Jean is now out here crusading for Margaret's name to be taken off of it, but she was very much instrumental in having it named after her in the first place. Yes, and to be fair, in her statement, Billie Jean herself said, I lobbied for this court to be named after Margaret Court, and now, you know, I basically regret that decision, or I think it's not right. She says, I have a long history with Margaret Court, and when the arena that bears her name was first planned, I fought hard for her to be recognized for her tennis accomplishments. Recently, she has made statements about our LGBTQI or she has it written here, LGBTIQ community, that crossed the line. Having a stadium or a tennis facility named after you comes with responsibility, including a responsibility to be welcoming and hospitable to all people. We are all God's children. I mean, Billie Jean is, you know, especially as she's gotten older, like very down the line, pretty mainstream, inoffensive liberal, right? Like there's nothing really radical about Billie Jean's politics, which I feel like is also the fate of people when they get older, right? And when they become the the aged figurehead mm-hmm. of a movement. Exactly. So, yes, I applaud Billie Jean for acknowledging, yes, I fought hard for the stadium to be named after Margaret, and now I believe... I don't think that she's saying she was wrong at the time, but she's changed her mind, basically. Mm-hmm. But she's known Margaret Court for 50 years, right? Like, she knew who she was... She knew about her pro-apartheid views, her racist views, for many, many years. I'm sure she heard the comments from Margaret about lesbians back when those things were barely ever said in polite company mm-hmm. in well, the 60s. Well, Margaret's like, book would have come out 30, 40 years ago at this point. Yeah. So, so that I, stuff is in record about the apartheid stuff. So I kind of want to know what changed. Because, for example, Billie Jean was not always a great advocate for LGBTQ rights. Uh, it, you know, she was out in the early 80s. She didn't really come out until the late 90s. What changed? What do you mean? What changed? Within Billie Jean? Yeah. Like, why, is she, why does she take issue with what Margaret said now and didn't then? Because it's a totally different time. It is. 15 years. It's a totally mm. different time. And it's also in a very specific time and place in Australian political history because they have just passed marriage equality. LGBT rights are now in Australia. Mm. Um, And in 2003, even in the States, I remember I was starting as a freshman in 2003 in the United States. And it was unfathomable to me that the U.S. would have gay marriage at that time. Yeah, so my um, point in saying that 2003, I imagine the the benefit of having a visible woman on the name of a court 
-hmm. that big would have been more important or more of a, a trump card than imagining that her beliefs would come and play a, a negating factor at some point. Right. Like that would have been the greater evil. Or to think that we would be in a place in kind of the Western world that people would actually give a shit. Yeah. I think at that time, Billie Jean was probably in a weird position because if you see a stadium being named after a great male champion and there's sort of a glaring omission, you know, if, if a, a stadium of the U.S. Open were named after Bill Tilden or Pete Sampras or Jimmy Connors and not someone like Billie Jean... Or Martina, or yeah. you know, and there was a pecking like order. Like that's an omission. There right? was a pecking order. Mm -hmm. You name it, Rod Laver Arena. The female equivalent is Margaret Court. Right. We want to see Ivan Gulagong now in Margaret's stead. Yes. But when you're making that argument in 2003, to have a woman headline that court, you go to her well, as a natural choice. You pick the record holder for everything, right? right? And um, uh, this is, but this is kind of the pitfall of representation only. You know, when representation is the only thing that matters, you get people like Margaret Court, Condoleezza Rice, mm -hmm. Colin Powell. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And so the argument Sarah that Palin. you're making is that everybody knew what she was and what she stood for back then. Yes. Uh, fewer people cared. And so That's my point. what is it that you want to say or want to have happen? You want Billy to be more specific and take more ownership of her role in this no no i don't need her to do anything really you just want to point it out yeah okay i i just think it's it's something worth talking about it, it should be out there uh, i actually i asked frith before we recorded if i could reference what she tweeted because she sort of shone a light on a lot of these facts that the minutiae of yeah this uh, situation that's being lost in the journalistic bubble, shall we say. Right. Because, you know, she mentioned, well, MCA is not actually owned by Tennis Australia. They don't have the power to change the name. And I was like, oh, shit. I did not know that. And I've probably misspoke before because of that. Mm -hmm. And she's right, obviously. It's owned by Melbourne and Olympic Parks. So it is actually owned by the government, basically. You should have seen the two of us. I came home from work, and I'm getting myself ready for this episode, working on the agenda. He's doing the same. I'm at the kitchen table, he's at the couch. I'm having dinner doing it. And we are both, after having getting caught up on Twitter, DMing Frith. <laughs> Separately. <laughs> Separately. She must have been like, what the so fuck thank is you. going on right now? <laughs> Thanks for dealing with us. <laughs> but um, We're both asking the same thing, permission mm -hmm. to talk about it on, on the show. Because uh, her tweets were prompted by, obviously journalists are now asking players because this is news about margaret carterina mm -hmm. about possible boycotts and it's something that was speculated about for months now yes but what's been coming up apparently which to me is a very facile question would you play on margaret carterina what is the correct answer to that what and the correct the correct answer is is that a realistic choice uh, does a player have the <laughs> the option to refuse to play on a major court at a Grand Slam. Mm -hmm. I don't think so. Are you then saying everybody requests... If everybody takes that stance, do they all just line up to play on Hisense right. and Rod Laver Arena and, and that's it? Or and do you then boycott the tournament? 
as Frith pointed mm. out on Twitter as Which well. Which is, is not going to happen. Nor, I feel like, nor do I think it should happen. And this is where I am in my life in general. This is the, what do you call it? The, the side of the line, the, the part of the sword that you fall on. The, no, what fence. Is fence, yes, the Fall, fence. Falling on your sword. You have all these metaphors <laughs> just do. kicking around in your brain. <laughs> <laughs> this is the side of the fence that I fall on in that we should always hold institutions to the fire more so than we do individual people in these situations. Mm-hmm. It's the same reason why people want to, this might be a little bit fraught for people, but <laughs> when minimum wage issues come up and they talk about, oh, well, businesses are going to go down the shitter, they're going to go bankrupt, they're going to have to close their doors the next day. What are the small businesses' practices ahead of time in preparation for these increases? Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we tend to vilify and... And demean. Demean and expect more of individuals when, in fact, corporations and institutions and businesses, they, they get away with murder. You know, like they, they get to be treated as a person for tax and voting purposes. But then when it comes to being accountable for anything, they're abstract. Well, that's, that's actually one of the reasons corporations are so such a, uh, an incredibly useful entity is that it's the complete removal of accountability. Because who do you blame? Mm-hmm. You know, it's a lot of people just doing their jobs. And but, so now we are asking these players, have you thought about not playing? Mm-hmm. Or saying you will not play on Margaret Court Arena. And what is the purpose of that question? Uh, <laughs> I, I want to know what the right answer is. So let's say you're a player who's not seated. You have very, very few opportunities to make this much money. This is, this is about your career. It's about survival. It's about funding the rest of your year. And journalists mm. know, know that. Well, to be, they fair, understand the to be fair, they're not, being the one, they're not the ones being asked. Okay. Because if you're a star, mm-hmm. are you going to sacrifice a Grand Slam? Because you don't want to play on Margaret Court Arena. And if you do, uh, does, that, does that make you a hero? And the other thing is that, will that affect change in a real way? Because the Australian Open doesn't have the power to change the name of the arena. It's exactly. used by other sports, organizations, by concerts, entertainment, everything. So I think the a thing we should mention is that Tennis Australia has not actually made a recommendation to the owners of the arena to change the name, which is something they could do. Something they, they don't have the power to, to do. do it, but, but they could lead the charge and at least yes, make the case. They could agitate. Exactly, which they have not done, which is fine. I'll acknowledge that. But I'm generally skeptical of boycotts in general, and I don't want to get into why that is. We can talk about it, it on was one of DMs. The, it was one of the, the main tenets of your master's thesis. It was. <laughs> <laughs> I just think that as journalists, we can do better than asking questions, would you boycott MCA? It's not interesting, and it doesn't elicit good answers. But listen, what it really boils down to is that's a story that's been written about Margaret Court, and it's to get a few quotes to put in that article. I agree. That's what it is. But it's simplistic. I'm not going to disagree with you okay. with that. The issue itself is, oh, God, this we could go on and on and on and about this. It's, I don't think, ugh. <laughs> we won't. There is an argument to be made that surviving as a tennis journalist is hard enough as it is already. And so picking your stories to write, are it's a bit unfair to have that transcript presented right away to see that 
potentially you're asking that same question to every athlete. Mm. And then it reads like, who is this idiot? Why is this question <laughs> being asked? When in right. fact, there's a story that's being worked on that we don't know what it's about. There's that, there's that element of it too. Mm. I want to be too unfair to that. But as a player, is that really a question that you need to be asked in that moment, giving your press availability as a top seed ahead of the tournament? Yeah. And you know, also, you know what I see? it's also a shortcut way to get that story as well, because you could also do one-on-ones, like find yeah. other sources and what have you. I mean, it's, it's a complex situation. Why don't we ease on down the road from Margaret Court? You know, she's not here at this Australian Open. Finally, we have a tournament without having to see her, and we're talking about her yeah. nonstop. But all the credits in the world to Frith, if you do not follow her, I say this all the time. I've said it multiple times. Every year when she's covering Brisbane on site, Frith is one of the no-brainer good follows on tennis Twitter. Oh, yeah. Her handle is at Plucky Loser and Enrich Yourself. One quick reach around or reach back. That's not how you say that. <laughs> That's not what that means. Let's go back a little bit. <laughs> I'm not sure I was totally clear about my point with regards to putting the onus on the players and giving that example of uh, minimum wage hikes and what have you. My point in saying that is set aside the journalistic aspect of this and whether you're questioning the reasons for why it's being asked, it could be asked a different way. If we're looking at it through the lens of, well, are we expecting these players to be agitating to cause and effect change of the naming of this court? Mm-hmm. They're not the ones. My argument is that they're not the ones that we should be looking to for this to happen. We should be putting the onus on the, the, the employer. Yeah, the right? owner. The institution. Tennis, Tennis Australia, who, although they can implement the change, can agitate, which we said, mm-hmm. and also higher up the ladder, as Frith pointed out to us, that's owned by Melbourne and Olympic Parks. I always look at this stuff from an HR perspective because that's like that's what I do in my my real job in and in Canada, which is important because I see the relationship between employee and employer as unequal, right? The employee is always at a disadvantage. They take more risk. They need to be protected more than the company itself. Mm-hmm. And so that that's kind of how I see it in this situation. And employers always pass on the added costs onto the employees. Exactly. Let's give a shout out to our sponsor, shall we? It's mm-hmm. that time of the show. So Health IQ mm-hmm. is a life insurance agency. Yes. They work with a bunch of different insurers, only with A or A plus rated insurance carriers. Mm-hmm. Their thing is they are geared toward health conscious people, right? They're trying to get you a better rate on your life insurance. And how many times with insurance, you feel like you're doing all the things by the book and you should, and you feel like you're still not getting the rates that you deserve. Yeah. Right. And so this is where this comes in with Health IQ. You go, you take their quiz, which is geared to identify the folks who are really health conscious and take care of their bodies. And then you uh, get access to these special rates. Mm -hmm. The cool thing is an agent will take you through the entire journey. It's not like... You know, you don't put in your information, they spit out a quote. They'll take you through the very first... Interaction. Yep. Through the application, through the underwriting process, and then through the actual policy. 
So you're you're never alone in the process. It's not you're not talking to a computer, right? It's a more personal approach to life insurance. So to see if you qualify, get your free quote at healthiq.com/bodyserve or mention our promo code bodyserve when you talk to an agent. And remember, by going through this process, you are not only helping yourself and your loved ones when you die, but you are also helping the show. Mm-hmm. More importantly. <laughs> Thanks. So what we're really here for is to preview the Australian Open draws, right? I remember we didn't really do a draw analysis or preview for the U.S. Open in our preview episode. And actually someone was like, oh, I I don't know why you guys didn't do a draw analysis. I wish you had. And I was shocked because I, I didn't realize anyone actually valued our insights in that area. Well, I guess... We're at a point now, having done this a while, where we know that minute, detailed analysis of the draw round to round matters shit all. It does. <laughs> In the grand and scheme of things. I, For me, I've always just felt that other people were better equipped to do it. Mm-hmm. The people that follow the smaller tournaments much closer and, and can just remember this kind of stuff. Because they do it as a career. We used to fill out the draws and have competitions within our household mm-hmm. as to who would have the better result, right? We'd score them round by round. And we haven't done that in a good couple of years now at this point because it just felt useless. Well, our scores were like so close and it didn't seem like any actual skill went into whoever won. Mm-hmm. We would split most of them. And anyway. so even now, we, we have our we each have a set of draws printed out, and we haven't written anything past the quarterfinals. <laughs> yeah, and I'm <laughs> because, just putting in who the seeds are. and Yeah, because can... it's, it's a total crapshoot. Yeah. Okay, so let's start with the women's draw. Again, we have a major without Serena, without a, a dominant champion. The story of this women's draw is there are a lot of very exciting potential matchups. There's a lot of... We don't know what's going to happen. And I'm glad you mentioned that because it brings me back to something I missed in my analysis, as it were, of the draw ceremony. This thing went on for an (laughs) hour and a half. It went on for an hour and a half, and they had Federer out there for how long, and then when they finally... You had asked, when did they actually present the draws? After Sherpa was done, then they came back and revealed the men's draw and did some analysis with their panel of all men. And then when they came back again from commercial break Mm. to reveal the women's draw, they subbed somebody out, kept Todd Woodbridge, and brought in Cara Black. So there was one woman, that was a sum total of women's analysis of the draw in this big produced spectacle, right? And on top of that, if you were to clock it in terms of the amount of time spent Discussing men's tennis and women's tennis, it would be like three to one. Yeah, and like and there's, that's a generous. There's a lot allotment. going on in women's tennis in this mm-hmm. draw specifically. Let's start with the very first quarter. Simona Halep is the number one seed, is leading off the draw, and look at this quarter. It's I mean just in her section she has to get through Kvitova. There's Barty, Osaka, Vesnina, and then the other seeds are Kanta and Pliskova. This is not an easy quarter at all. Whoever gets through to the semis in this section is going to have a hell of a fight. Halep draws Destiny Ayava first off, and then potentially if Bouchard can somehow manage to win a match 
against Ocean Dodin in, in her first round. It'll be Halep Bouchard in the second round, and then Halep Petro in the third round. Picture that. <laughs> Simona Halep, right. Petra Kvitova in the third round. And then... It doesn't get better from there. No, because right below that, we potentially have Ash Barty, who unfortunately draws Sabalenka in the uh, first round. Look at Ash Barty's little section. Like, just her path to the third round. Because if she gets through Sabalenka, Camila Georgi was on a tear this week. Mm-hmm. Beat a few big players. Before Kerber put her down. Mm-hmm. There's Naomi Osaka, who's working with Big Sasha. And Vesnina is the other seed. But I personally, if I'm Ash Barty, I'm looking at the first round and no further. Yeah. Because Sabalenka is one of these players who's up and coming. She has confidence. She did lose quite meekly to uh, Tsurenko this week, 6-1, 6-1. But uh, this, I mean, you really couldn't ask for harder unseeded players to face right now. Sabalenka has a whole lot of game. Somebody tweeted us and asked us what we thought about her ceiling and what have you. We haven't seen that much of her. I watched mm. her a bit this week. And the one thing I will say is that she has, even if a virus like morphs and metastasizes into some kind of super virus, that's what her grunt is. Oh, I was really horrified. It was. Because it's not just the grunt, it's when it happens. Yes, it's like. It's very, the, the very clearest, clearly gamesmanship the to clearest me. Form of gamesmanship that yeah. we've seen from a grunt. It's a hindrance, and I cannot believe that it's allowed to to continue. Yeah, it's well after the ball struck. But as far as Barty's concerned, I selfishly would love to see a third round with Barty and Osaka, two young women mm-hmm. who are potentially mm-hmm. the face and the future of the WTA tour, who've both appeared on the Body Serve Tennis Podcast. Wow, that's true, isn't yeah. it? And then in the other section below that, so say Halep gets through that that little mini section there and she's in the quarterfinals. Her quarterfinal opponent will likely come from one of Kanta, Streetsova, Shavashova, or Pliskova. <laughs> right, so you have the big Czech contingent down there, the Fed Cup team, Joanna Kanta, who, I mean, she's made a semi here, she's beat Venus here, she plays really well in Australia. She claims She's that... She's one of the best hardcore players on the WTA yeah, Tour. But the past few years in Australia specifically mm-hmm. have been really impressive. Last year she was stopped by Serena, but she was looking fearsome. You remember that? Mm-hmm. She had kind of an injury scare last week, and then she lost to Radwanska this week. And But she says she's fine. Like, she's she's good to compete. Michael Joyce is out here saying, like, she's getting close to Sharapova's level... You know, because he knows, because he goes Sharapova. Oh. So between Kanta and Pliskova, I have no idea who's going to make the quarters, if if either of them. If if Simona Halep is really feeling herself, like, I don't know, she could get out of that quarter, but it's rough. But still, a lot of people are looking to her after she won in Shenzhen to, to do the business. Like, she is the yeah. favorite for this tournament. Despite what Angelique Kerber is doing currently in Sydney. Do you think she's the favorite? I disagree. I do think she is. Oh, Oh, well, we can talk about that. Okay, now let's get into the second quarter here. Muguruza is the number three seed, and she got screwed by this draw really bad. I mean, things can fall apart, but there's Radwanska in the third. In the fourth round, it could be either Kerber or Sharapova or Sevastova. That's not great. And she's also nursing an injury she 
withdrew this week with, a, I think it was like a thigh injury against Gavrilova. Yeah, she won her first match and then gave Gavrilova the walkover in the following round, right? Is that how it happened? Yes. There's only two women here who can feel hard done realistically by this draw. Fine. Muguruza in this section, yes. And then also in this section, Kerber. Kerber's playing great right now. You could make the argument that, okay, well, her ranking sucks and that's why she's there. Okay. <laughs> Muguruza, she is the defending Wimbledon champion. She is the number three seed, a stone's throw away from number one. It sucks to draw Aga in the third round, potentially, and then having to beat either Kerber or Sharapova, potentially, in the fourth round. That's mm -hmm. a tough draw. But, but for Sharapova or Aga, like, your result, Sharapova coming back, like, this is where you should be, realistically. Yeah. And Radwanska, like, this is where you should be, too. Like, you, it should be a tough right. route for you. As the, the 26th seed now. Mm -hmm. It's fallen down quite a lot in the rankings. We just look at Kerber differently now because she's playing so well. Yeah. And we would like to see her go further. But, it, I mean, if she's going to get, like, the fire back, a few wins over players of this caliber is maybe what's going to do it for her. Mm -hmm. Like, that's going to seal the deal, you know. Well, we thought that that's what she got this week in Sydney. And so maybe that was enough. And then she could then benefit from an easier first few matches because she's played so many matches mm -hmm. in the first couple of weeks. So it'll be a little bit more difficult for her, I think, with so many matches already under her belt. Right. Kiki Mladenovic is still ranked number 11. Um, Boy, you're just totally intent on just glossing over Sharapova, aren't you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because um, that's, a, that's a great first-round match for her. It lies, is. Lies, not a first-round match. Second-round match, potentially. She gets Tatiana Murray in the first round, mm -hmm. which is good for her, frankly. Right. But then in the second round, she potentially plays Anastasia Sevastova again, the woman who beat her at the US Open. Yes. And against whom she played that three-set thriller in Beijing. I don't know a few how that's a good. How is that good news for Sharapova? I didn't you, say it's a good. Oh, I didn't I, say it's good news. I thought I said, you said it was a good match. No, it's a great match. Oh, okay. To watch. It could be. I mean, it's certainly not pretty. But remember <laughs> that mess at the U.S. Open. Oh my god. <laughs> I mean, Sevastova is a player who really I love love watching her play for her facial expressions. And for her grit, especially at majors, so she's not going to back down from that fight at all. No. This next section, though, is wide open. Yeah. Like, and if you're Carolyn Garcia, you have to be pretty pleased about this. You are, but then you are also coming back from an injury. There's Mirjana Lucic-Baroni, who hasn't been able to win pretty much anything in the last yeah. eight to ten months. There's Madison Keys, who also has injury concerns. There's Kiki Medanovic, who hasn't won, any, like, 13, 14 straight losses. Yeah. It's a, it's a section where you could see one of the lesser-known players come through. What about Hev? Yeah. Putin Seva? Actually, she, you know, they, they play in the first round. Shelby Rogers, perhaps. Sasnovich? Oh, yeah. Whoever makes it out of, you know, the Murutha area might have a little bit of a breather. Yeah. <laughs> in the quarters. All right. Now we're at Venus. Uh, yeah, well, yeah. Do we have to? Okay. I want to to uh, problematize the venus Benchich matchup a little bit. You are such a low-ranked, no, 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 no. dirty bitch. What? <laughs> <laughs> because I was the one who, quote-unquote, problematized this to you in the kitchen the What other are you day. talking about? In that, you know, it might not be that bad of a matchup for Venus. Is that oh, where you're going with No, this? that's not where I was going. Oh, so where I was well, going I that, that 
Benchich has been on an absolute tear mm -hmm. recently, but, but she has been playing at the 125 and ITF level. Okay. Like, will it be... I know she's in good form, but will it be a challenge getting to the Venus Williams level? Okay. Um, and the thing is, she played in Hopman Cup, and she played quite well, obviously. She helped her Swiss team win. But that is an exhibition. It, it, you know, it's different. You, she was playing some top-level competition, but it is still an exhibition. She just managed to lose a set to Andrea Petkovic mm -hmm. and Kuyong, which not many people have done recently. Right. That's unnecessarily shaded toward Andrea because we love her. But, but it's true. Unfortunately, it is true. My point in, in trying to give a little bit of optimism to Venus fans here is that Venus owns a 4-0 record against Bencic. Mm -hmm. Bencic, while she does everything a little bit better in terms of pace than Hingis. Like, it's easy to make that comparison, you right, know, like, but right. she still doesn't have the supreme firepower. No. And I think that's what's helped Venus in that matchup in the past. That said, Bencic is coming in on a roll. Mm -hmm. There's no denying that. And the last time they played was 2015. 2015 Venus is not 2017 right. Venus. I, we both believe that she is a better player yes. than she was then. And I told you last time that nothing about Venus's first match and her loss to Kerber gave me nightmares. You know, Venus won the first set. She lost her control of her server in the third set. That's going to be the biggest issue that she'll have against Benchich. Venus will not struggle to break anybody, really, on tour. If she's playing well from right, the ground. Right. That will not be an issue for her. If Venus able, is able to defend her serve and have a high percentage on her second serve, she should be okay. Now, what does scare me, though, is the potential of seeing Gurgis in the fourth and Svitolina in the quarters. Yeah. That's that's bad. This is not. I'm not trying to say that she doesn't yeah. have a hell of a draw. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> it's it's not cute. Well, I mean, but the thing is, this is women's tennis these days. You know, you think you've you've made it out of the rain because you're not playing top seeds, but there are other women on a roll who sometimes are not even seeded. Like I said earlier with Georgie with Sabalenka. Now we have. I mean, Gurgis is up to number twelve. But still, like, that is a really bad fourth-round match for anyone. Corne could take out Gerges in the second round. Who knows? Sure. Right. There is Gavrilova there as well. Even She's been playing very well. Mertens is in the final of Hobart as we speak mm -hmm. against Buzarnescu. I think Svitolina is... You know, I've been saying for a long time that I think her time is coming. I don't know if this tournament is it, but... She has a really impressive record against basically the entire top 10. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if she makes it to the final out of this half. There's definitely not a lot standing in her way. There, the other seed in her section is Peng Shui. Um, there's Dasha Kazakina. And she does have potentially Maria Sakari in the second round. Uh-huh. And then there's Sloan at the other side. And Sloan, unfortunately, is on a pretty big slide since the U.S. Open, this is seven matches now that she's lost. Um, for a lot of a lot of the time in the fall, she was just injured, like just straight up was playing on an she injury. She just had that Deadspin article come out saying what's going on with Sloane Stevens, which oh, I think you, is nev you never want to get one of those. <laughs> it's a little bit rude, to be frank. It sure is. Like let the woman enjoy her three point something million dollars. Mm -hmm. 
Nobody expected Sloan Stevens. Her new clothing contract. No, that's the thing. Nobody expected Sloan Stevens before, say, she made a couple of semis leading up to the U.S. Open to do well. And finally, you could say, well, I expect her to have a good tournament. Yeah. But nobody could but have realistically win. expected Sloan to win that tournament. And so now for her to come back, I liken it to the the Puig effect. It's a, it's a matter of tempering expectations, really. Yeah. She's not going to be Serena Williams overnight. She's not going to be Venus Williams overnight. Okay, so that final, the fourth quarter in the women's draw... We have Ostapenko at the top, Wozniak at the bottom. Ostapenko starts off against a fellow Roland Garros champion, Francesca Schiavone. You know, that's the matchup that I'm next to Venus is probably most upset about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because we thought Francesca was retiring, and then we find out that she's not, only because she sends out one of her Facebook messages showing her injury. And she's like, can't wait to come back or something, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and then she... Like, say what? She only flies to Australia a couple of days ago. Mm. Give this woman a break. <laughs> I know, right? She's given us so much joy over the years. I'm just happy to see Francesca at another major. I didn't expect to see her again. This could be her last Australian, but who knows? It mm-hmm. also might not be. Um, Sobokova starts against Kanepi, which is... Uh, just not a great matchup. Kanepi had a big win recently. I can't remember what it was. What we really mean to say is that this is Caroline Wozniacki's section of the draw. It really is. I mean, Colleen Vandeweghe is in there, the semifinalist from last year. As The two-time be- slam semifinalist yeah. who is misunderstood as being arrogant. Oh my arrogant. god. Man, ESPNW really needs to do better. Like, they just do. What do you Realistically, what do you expect them to do? Like, they're, she's one of the top, as much as you don't want to like mm-hmm. hear it, the top U.S. women's tennis players. Yeah. And... They have a... ESPNW has a history, and first of all. she is the top-ranked white U.S. women's <laughs> tennis player. Like, this is what happens. Is there a ranking for that, too? There is. That's what she is. She is the number one white is right I do think she's, she's the number one Trump supporter in the WTA. Is there, what's the rankings on that? American women's tennis, <laughs> if you are looking at things from the Trumpian side of the world, <laughs> is beset by too many black women, mm-hmm. right? Right. And so she is the savior. And so this kind of puff piece, it's it's par for the course. It's just, it's so uninteresting. It's like, I'm not as arrogant as they say. Why don't you try just being like, yeah, I'm rude. I want to win. You know, maybe I'd have a little respect for her. You're trying to get me to touch that, and I just won't. No, no, it's fine. <laughs> Bottom line is, I think Wozniacki and Svitolina are kind of, for me, like my leading candidates to not only get out of this half, but to win the tournament. And, and uh, uh, I know, you know, you don't, you shouldn't predict someone to win a major until they have actually won a major. So I'm probably shooting myself in the foot, but I think they are the informed candidates here. And I think that the winner, if it comes to it, of Sibolkova Vandeweghe will get to the semifinal. Oh, yeah? That's what I think. I, especially if the court is playing fast. All right. Shall we move on to the men's draw? Okay. So, a lot of you Nadal haters were out here saying that he has an easy draw, which I'll give, I'll give you that most of the firepower is on the bottom half of the draw. It is a really loaded bottom half of the men's side. However, 
there is a lot of on there's so many unknowns on the bottom half you have huge names former champions in Wawrinka and Djokovic on the bottom half but like we don't know what kind of form they're in we just found out today shortly before recording that Wawrinka had just decided definitively that he was going to play mm-hmm. like after practice today he felt you know he's not in the greatest shape but he can play which probably means he'll win <laughs> right like Wawrinka wins when you don't predict him to win look i'm done with having any kind of attachment or feelings or ideas about nadal and the australian open because there has been entirely too much heartbreak at this tournament All right since 2014 and even before then with the five set loss to djokovic Mm-hmm. Like this is like I just play it by ear. If it happens, it happens. If he does well, I'm thrilled, but I'm not gonna get worked up about. Yeah, it. I mean, I I curl up with the 2009 title. I just have to be happy with that. <laughs> and I, what it's actually one of my favorite kits of his that he's ever worn too. So it it helps. If he wins again, great. But because y'all haters are saying it's easy, I I can see where you're coming from. His fourth round would be the pure one versus 16 seed, John Isner. John Isner has never beaten Rafa in a sanctioned match, but he did beat Rafa at Lever Cup mm-hmm. last year. So I, I still don't, that, that's not a real match, obviously. That's more of an exhibition. But the other people standing in his way are Demir Jumor, the German film star, Diego Schwartzman. <laughs> Diego Schwartzman, who played Isner really tough recently. So Schwartzman actually could be Rafa's fourth-round opponent. Yeah. Uh, of course, if Rafa gets there, I don't want to yeah. assume that he will make it. Nadal uh, has Estrella Burgos in the first round before mm-hmm. he plays Leonardo Meyer in the second round. If you recall, Meyer was the one who took the first set off of him at the U.S. Open. Ah, uh, yes. And Borna Chorich is in there the, as well. That was in the third round, yeah. What could get tricky for Nadal most quickly is a George Jumhur third round. I feel like that mm. Jumhur has been playing really well, and we know George can fuck up somebody's life on any given day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, Rafa's health was obviously a question. It was swirling, and he asked the uh, the organizers of the Australian Open to organize kind of a realistic practice match with Dominic Team. I think it was today, either yesterday or today. Mm-hmm. And uh, Rafa won in a super tiebreak. So, it, you know, was, he lost the first set in a tiebreak. I think they, he wanted the conditions to be as real as they could be, like a real match, which I think is encouraging. Part of the reason why Rafa is probably doing this or did this uh, simulated match with Dominic Team was this is the first time that he's coming into a slam without having an official match. And this is something that we've seen talked about. Christopher Cleary was tweeting about it quite a bit uh, over the last day or two. And I imagine that this is the main reason why this happened. Because Rafa wants to at least get the feel of what a real match would be like for him, having not had one leading up into this tournament. His quarterfinal opponent by seed could be Marin Cilic, could also be Ryan Harrison for how well Harrison is playing, regrettably. Mm -hmm. And then in the bottom half of that top half... The second quarter. The second quarter. 
fractions. Remember how you were getting you were asking me to add four fifths yes. plus two thirds? It was three fifths okay. plus one third. Okay. <laughs> Still. So the second quarter of that half, it's led off by three seed Grigor Dimitrov and Jack Sock. Let's start at the bottom. Jack Sock, who is a mess, <laughs> has <laughs> such an opportunity. He sure does, yeah. To get through to a quarterfinal. And I would be shocked if he does. I'm more inclined to think Kevin Anderson or Luca Pui will be the one playing in that quarterfinal mm. against, by seed, either Dimitrov or Kyrgios. Dimitrov and Kyrgios could have a repeat of their Brisbane semifinal in the fourth round here in Melbourne. Okay, let's start at the top. So just just, just get just get Sangha out of the way. Right I will. Away. I'm not saying discard mm-hmm. him. I'm just saying you know that's what you're going to talk I, about. Well, first. yeah, I practically cried when I saw it. It's hor- horrible, horrible. Song is the 15 seed. He does face a qualifier in the first round. Mind you, the qualifying rounds have been delayed, so we actually don't have... We're not looking at a draw right now with the actual names for qualifiers in, because it's not done yet. But then he faces the winner of Tsitsipas or Shapovalov, two young guys who are like coming into their own, who are breaking out... Why? That's so rude that he has to face them so early. And then his third round opponent is probably Nikirios. Like, are you serious? Nikirios, who just beat Dimitrov, the number three player in the world at Brisbane in the semifinals, mm-hmm. won Brisbane, and he's at home. He's probably like feeling his oats. And I, I mean, I can't really. Hold up, hold what? up. Chad, CC Smooth, uh, used that expression to me <laughs> the other day. It was the first time I'd ever heard it. I know you're using it now. Yeah, well, I think it's from Drag Race. I, I swear I've never heard One it before. Of, do you remember Gia? That really Gia annoying Gun? one? Yeah. yeah. She used that, and I think it was she was incorrectly trying to say sowing my wild oats. But she was saying, I'm feeling my oats. I don't... Anyway. <laughs> Nick is feeling himself. That's the point. Okay. So Sangha unfortunately has a tough little tough little road here just to get to the, the round of sixteen. And then he would have to face Grigor if he makes it there. Or Andre Rublev, who was what, a quarterfinalist at the US Open. So everybody in that little area has a much harder road than Jack Sock. Let me point out another first round match that's intriguing is Ferrer and Rublev. Ferrer just made the semifinals. Where? Auckland or Hobart, yeah. one of the two. Auckland, Auckland. Because uh, that's where actually Roberto Batista Algut just beat Juan Martín del Potro. Mm-hmm. It was a huge win for him. Yeah. And winning a title right before the Australian Open. Okay, let's get into this third quarter. Because I think it's a lot worse than you do. So we got Dominic Team and Sasha Zverev, the four and five seeds in the same quarter, which does not always happen. And then you have two former champions in Djokovic and Marenka and Gael Monfils. Who just won a title. So this, like, this is really, really stacked. And to me, it's not looking good for Dominic or Sasha. Who, who by seed, by rights, should should make it on through. I think I'm looking at it from the perspective of not really expecting much from either of them. Mm. Because of how they've disappointed in the past. Who? <laughs> Dominic and Zverev. Oh, right, right. At slams, Dominic, with the exception being at the French Open in back-to-back years... What sucks here is for Novak. If you're a Novak fan, he has to play Donald Young in the first round and then potentially Gal Mofis in the second round. Right. 
And Guile looks like he is revamped and ready. Mm-hmm. We've talked about this. And uh, moving past that, if Nole is able to get through that, he potentially then has to play Zverev in the fourth round. And then either Team or Bautista Gut or Stan in the quarterfinals. Yeah. So for me, Djokovic is the one who really has the shitty draw here. Okay. Of course, the whole tennis world was talking about this at the end of last year, where these big time, you know, where the big five would fall in the seedings when they came back. Mm-hmm. Now, a friendly reminder that Roger Federer won the Australian Open last year as the 17 seed. He faced a very tough road and he got through. So, and it the is... 17 seed this year is Mr. Nick Kyrgios. Oh, okay. My point being, Roger was coming back from an injury, like a few of these guys. He's a former champion, like Djokovic and Wawrinka. It is not impossible that Djokovic or Wawrinka will win this tournament. I think Djokovic is probably more likely of the two. Yeah, but Federer wasn't pressing his medic alert button like every few minutes, <laughs> like these guys have been in January. Yes, he did. I mean, I was surprised that Djokovic admitted publicly that he was feeling elbow pain at the beginning of this month, which is what... Not even two weeks ago. Yeah. And um, I don't know if uh, his abbreviated service motion is a direct short-term response to that and if he will then elongate it uh-oh. again once I don't know. he starts to feel more secure in his elbow. But for now, he has a much abbreviated service motion. Mm-hmm. I mean, Sharapova changed hers permanently because of the shoulder, you mm-hmm. know, the chronic shoulder injuries. Yeah. But there's, there's also RBA who would... You know, seated to face Stan in the fourth round. He also plays Verdasco. Or in the sorry, first the third, round. the third round. Oh yeah, yeah. Verdasco, who just lost to Alex Dimonar. Let's get to him. Right? Let's move to the okay. other. Okay. Okay. Let, let me get this right. The next quarter of the bottom half. Yes. How is that? The fourth quarter. Yeah. <laughs> and this is the fourth quarter of the episode. Very apt. Uh huh. Okay. So leading it off, David Goffin, number seven seed. And all the way at the bottom of the draw is Roger Federer, up from number 17 last year to number two seed. Mm-hmm. And save for having to possibly play Del Potro in the quarterfinals, who is his own personal bugaboo in mm-hmm. recent years. Yeah. It's a fairly palatable draw for Fed mm-hmm. there's, up until that point. There's whipping boy Gasquet, uh, Milos Raonic, maybe Sam Querrey. And Sam Querrey has to pay... Lopez in the first round, or Lopez has to play Query. I don't know how you want to look at that. And somebody has to watch it. <laughs> I'll watch Feliciano. But we were just we were talking about what if Query and Raonic have to play a third round? Lord. Like, who is what? Do you think they're going to put that on, like, one of the practice No, courts? if that happens... Who's watching that? Well, I was going to make a quip, but we actually do get fairly good slam coverage here in Canada, so we could watch it on a different channel. Unfortunately, we, no, it'll be on every channel, yeah. because Milos is playing. We'd make alternate plans that night. Yeah. Berdic opens against Wunderkind Alex Diminar, who is taking the tennis world by storm! <laughs> This kid, like, will not stop winning. No. Can't stop, won't stop. And now he's in the final in Sydney against Medvedev. So this kid, like, loves playing for Australian crowds, is on a roll. Tomas Berdic is old. I mean, he's probably still younger than us, unfortunately, but Listen, he is old. He just won tiebreak 10s, okay? <laughs> just is collected it, 200. Is it tiebreak 10s? 
or tens. Well, if they wanted me to say tennis, they should have spelt it like tennis. <laughs> so as far as I'm concerned, it's tiebreak tens. <laughs> I have heard players say tiebreak tens. Well, they play they play tiebreaks up to ten. That's where it comes from. I see. Win by two. Uh, do you do you re- do you realize how little attention I've paid to tiebreak <laughs> tens? Okay, you do you. Burdick, we don't know what to expect from him. That's the bottom line. Diminar, he'll be just outside the top 100 should he win against Medvedev in Sydney. He's, I mean, we do not want to put too much onto folks right. when they're young, but this is ex- this is exciting. There's uh, Karen Hachanov, who very politely pronounced his name for us, so we could sound like he we knew call- what we were talking about. He called you? Oh, yeah. We talked. Oh. Mm-hmm. Hmm. His name is Karen Hachanov. We knew this, didn't we? And no, we thought it, we were saying Hachanov. Oh, okay. Yeah. Anyway, he would be uh, like a oh a second round opponent for Del Potro. I was surprised to see that Hachanov was not seated. He must be very close, right? One would think, yeah. Mm. Del Potro gets Tiafo in the first round. You say Hachanov in the. <laughs> <laughs> not I say. In the second all, round, all of Russia says. And then Delpo either plays Berdik, Deminar, or Benoit Pair in the third round. Mm. Pair who just went deep in Sydney as well. Did he go deep? Why, why resist those base <laughs> urges? Okay. I was referencing the Janet Jackson song yeah, from the okay. early or from the late nineties from and, Velvet Rope. And do you also not get any sleep because you've been <laughs> up all night? <laughs> um, what was I going to say? Medvedev opens against. The cock, Kakanakis. Oh my god. <laughs> what else? Oh, we didn't talk about there's a potential Zverev brother matchup yes, in the third round. Yes, yes, Which yes. is obviously very intriguing if it happens. You know what? That is my mm. one wish for this tournament mm. for that to happen and for Misha to just fucking clock him. <laughs> That's what I want. Right. But Misha has to play Chung in the first round, mm-hmm. and that is no guarantee. I'll sacrifice that breakout prediction. For Misha to right. go do that. I'm just saying that Chung is in form mm-hmm. and could spoil that party. But that is a sucky draw for Kokonakis. Truly. Well, yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. I think we're done. We're pretty much run, done with the draw analysis, right? Yeah. Was there any analysis? No, we're just really ta- <laughs> talking about stuff, I guess. Uh-huh. I think what people want when they say, oh, you didn't do a draw analysis, like they want predictions as well. I know. Which it's it's Which like the not, least interesting thing. We're not for really us. gonna do. Like why would you want to put yourself out there looking stupid? So <laughs> you know, bold faced yeah. about it. Yeah. It, is there anything prediction wise you wanna say? I think the one thing I said was Sibolka Vokoko will make this the quarterfinals. Or the semis. Oh yeah. That, that was a very bold prediction. I made the much more conservative prediction in saying that Svitolina or Waz will win. The tournament? Yes, the whole thing. Okay. We should learn by now not to discount Venus Williams. And if the court is fast, watch out. If the court is fast, she's serving well, there is no reason why she can't go very far again. Mm -hmm. And like Monfils, she has had an an about face with Mm -hmm. regard to her social media. Yes. She's much more active. It seems like she's actually posting personally. And, and she's released some great Instagram stories. It would be a dancing shame if Venus and that hair did not get more play <laughs> in Melbourne. Because uh-huh. she is looking... She's got long braids right now, Yeah, right? she's looking all of that mm-hmm. right now. 
Okay, so there are a few odds and ends that we want to end with. A follow-up to something we talked about on a previous episode, last episode in fact, Simona Halep has secured a sponsorship. She is now with Nike. She signed, according to Jose Morgado, she signed for four years at $1.7 million per year, purportedly up from $1 million a year with Adidas. Mm-hmm. So I think it seems what happened is that Adidas had Muguruza and her, and they weren't really willing to spend more money on her, mm-hmm. basically. They and essentially put their eggs into Muguruza's basket. Yeah. She asked for $2 million, got $1.7. It's still a big upgrade. It's not like Adidas was doing anything. How do you know she asked for $2 million? That's what was reported. Oh, I missed that part. Yeah. It's not like Adidas was doing anything exciting with the clothes. <laughs> but guaranteed Nike won't either, so. No. <laughs> so get that money. Serena in Vogue, hello. You know, the world is talking about Serena all the time when she's not playing. She is the sport's biggest superstar. This Vogue piece was much more revealing than I expected. And there were a lot of rumors about how she had some difficulties after giving birth. Nobody really knew exactly what was going on. And it's not like it's our business. And of course, Patrick was running his mouth about how Oh, you know, the, the the birth was a lot more difficult than you all think, so that's why she's not going to play the Australian. It's like, thank you so much, Patrick. Um, but she revealed quite a bit to the reporter who came to her home. Unfortunately, the pulmonary embolisms were back. Blood clots is what she was most afraid of after giving birth, and they did come back. She knew exactly what to do. She knew what to tell the doctors. You know, just a lot of scary, scary shit happened after the birth, which we also confirmed was a C-section, and there were complications from that because of her medical history. We confirmed? Well, (laughs) she confirmed. (laughs) We got... But to see her on the court at the end of December is just amazing to me, that, that she was even in okay enough shape to play an exhibition. And Oracine was interviewed giving her pearls of wisdom. (laughs) Standing for, oh my God. standing for discipline. Yes. Representing strictness and obedience. She's saying that obedience, quote, obedience brings protection. Which Serena says is in the Bible. I, I don't know where, but I believe her. She says she heard from Sveta, Kerber, Caroline during her time out, her time away from the court. Mm-hmm. What did she do during her time off? (laughs) Simona was uh, referred to as Serena's friend, Simona Halep, the number one player. Mm. And Serena said she was interested to see what would happen at the top of the game while she was out. And she's like, you know, if if it so happened that there was a clear number one, cool, because I'm going to come for you. And, like, I love that this... She's sitting at home. She's still not fully healthy. She's recovering from the birth, and she's got this fire. Like, she wants to come back and assert herself because she believes... She said she believes the number one is her place. Like, it's her domain, and she wants it back. So that excites me as a fan. She also said that the women in Billie Jean King's day supported each other even though they competed fiercely. We've got to do that. That's kind of the mark I want to leave. Play each other hard but keep growing the sport. Which is very much Serena 
2.0 or 3.0 or 4.0. Mm-hmm. Because this is not the Serena Williams who created that iconic moment at Daenerys Safina's expense in that <laughs> press conference, right? Like, that is not right, uplifting right. other women in sport. That was, at this point, a long time ago. It was. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. It's part of the evolution and emancipation of Riri. <laughs> Of, of course, Rina. you're gonna the bring emancipation it back of Rina. Yeah, yeah. You know, Billie Jean has has clearly anointed Serena as as a singular figure in women's tennis. Billie the Jean person has said that who, recently. Right. She said, "I specifically want to pass the torch to Serena," mm-hmm. and she feels like she's the person who has that cultural reach to do the work mm-hmm. and has potential to to have uh, an even broader reach than Billie Jean King herself did mm-hmm. because she's. You know, Serena is bridging communities together. She's... It's not just that black people create the culture. We've seen this well, yeah. mm-hmm. over and over and over again throughout American cultural history. And she is that bitch who caused all that conversation. <laughs> <laughs> Can I say that? I don't know. Well, I guess we'll see. If we hear from Oracine. <laughs> but she is. She's a tastemaker. She is yeah. a, a cultural icon. She's an influencer. And, and when she says something and makes the determined effort to attack something and tackle something like she did with turning her return to Indian Wells on its head with the Equal, Justi- Equal Justice Initiative, mm-hmm. right? She can bring so many more people and issues into the fold. She is, in effect, like Billie Jean thinks she could run for president if she wants to, <laughs> which is a bit far-fetched, but... but like she functions as a politician in in a in a way mm-hmm. because of all the venues at her disposal because of who she is and who she chooses to be and who she works to be now actively in ways that she didn't in the past and like, this is but this is the groundwork that Richard and Oracine did this is that Venus did well that this is where I'm bringing it to that she and Venus are renaissance women that they have such varied interests Serena is kind of a nerd, like she's into the tech world so much. She she wants to she's working in um this organization with Billie Jean to like fund sort of tech projects from women of color and people who don't often get the opportunities in these fields, right? The fact that she is a nerd makes her even more powerful because she has interests that go beyond sport and fashion, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's not just taste making, it's people who actually drive innovation too. Yeah. There was a period where folks were unwilling to accept the public image and current iteration of Serena as reformed, quote unquote reformed, as to what she needed to be reformed mm. from is a fraught and coded loaded thing, right? Yeah. But that was what was being presented. That, oh, well, look, that time when she tried to kill somebody on court, <laughs> and that time when she was being like a mean black bitch, like, that's the best way I can describe it. You know, like, there was this image of her that was stuck in, in so many, let's be frank, white people's mind's eye yeah. for years. and They were scared. Yeah, and we are finally, I think, having that reckoning that's catching up to a Serena that's been long changed or evolved. Yeah, evolved is better. Is better, yes. Because this Serena has been in the making for a since long time. the beginning. Yes. I don't want to give credence to like some of those arguments, but I'm just saying that mm. it is a different Serena. It's natural that people evolve and grow well, yeah. as they get older. She's grown. She's like, grown. She's grown. 
but there is strength in acknowledging that growth as well and mm. that there was the something that Serena would do now is not something that she would do as a goat 25 year old of right. her time <laughs> right you know it's, right. she's a grown goat <laughs> You're just so on the defensive for anything well, negative you know, about Serena. We have to stay vigilant. We really do. Even within our household. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm quick to check a bitch. Are you that bitch? <laughs> do, do, yes. do you know what that's from? Uh-huh. <laughs> I didn't know if she sang. I thought she rapped or whatever. <laughs> anyway, we... Oh, look. We're going really long again. It's still shorter than the last time. Yeah. If we wrap it up right now. So 2018 is not the year of brevity, apparently. No. Um, not on the body service release. So anyway, thank you for tuning in. We appreciate it. We're super excited about the Australian Open. Um, reach out to us about just any little old thing that catches your fancy. Mm-hmm. We are here for you. We're giving ourselves to you in 2018. Mm-hmm. Find us at The Body Serve on Twitter and Instagram. Find me, James, at Elliot JMR on Twitter. And you can find us at 123 uh, Oldstown Crescent. What? <laughs> what the hell? What? I'm pretending to give us oh, our address. Yeah, okay. <laughs> What's your Twitter handle? <laughs> it's tennis underscore John. All right. Find us on iTunes, your your favorite podcast catcher. We're, we're there. Tell your friends and family about us. Thanks for listening. Till next time.